Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. How would you like to hear an episode from a guy who runs a technology organization inside of one of the leading providers of claims services to the insurance industry? I would. I would. You, you are you game? I I, yeah. I was asking our audience, but but you well, they you, can't talk. They don't you, have microphones, Rob. You can serve as a surrogate. I'm gonna just talk in their behalf and say I would. I would. Lee Boyd, audience surrogate, is with us today. Yeah, that'll work. I'm Rob Beller. I am. What am I? I'm a co-host. Yeah. No, you're a host. Remember, we dropped co a while back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're hosts. Yeah, we're hosts. Okay, I'm a host of FNO InsureTech. Yeah, your, you ask a lot of questions. Your most reliable, longest living resource for all things yeah. InsureTech. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I say it's the most popular, uh, most authentic, most... Ooh, uh, most, uh, oh, I like that. Most listened to, right? Most listened to. Yeah. And Prove me um, wrong. Prove me wrong. And it's uh, fun for Lee and I. We'll be doing our day jobs. And we'll have a meeting with somebody. And well, I'll tell the story you you just told me yesterday. Well, what story was that? Oh, 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 I got on a meeting. I got on a meeting and the person I got on with was like, hey, I feel like I already know you. I listen to uh, you and Rob all the time. And we love that. We love it when people listen to us. Uh-huh. All four of them. All four. We thank uh, you all four. All four of you. We're so grateful uh, because uh, you know we're not in this for the ego. Because no. uh, if you're going to have an ego thing, you don't do a podcast about insure tech. That's right. That's right. We don't do it for the extra for the extra money either. We don't do it for the swag. No. Nope. Because we don't even get swag anymore. We stopped asking. I know. We we do it. We do it for the audience. We, we do. do it for you, do. the we listener. Do. We do. We're here for you. Yeah, we're here for you. That that should be our tagline. And speaking of being here for you, mm-hmm. our guest today is here for us. He is here for us. We have Adam Menzer, who's the CIO at Alacrity Solutions, the company that supports this podcast and also employs Lee and I. Yes. Adam is a is a long-term friend of ours. We've known Adam a long time, even before we started working at Alacrity. But Adam's going to come on today and talk about his role, recently promoted to the CIO of Alacrity Solutions. He's going to talk about his role, but he's going to talk about being a buyer of insured tech. He's going to talk a little bit about AI. Uh, he's going to give us a look inside the world of, of technology. It's exciting to have somebody like him on because for most people we talk to, you're inventing, developing, underwriting, funding, selling a product, and you're trying to sell to somebody like Adam. Right. Right. Adam is a buyer. And so for those of you who are sellers, this, you should, you should listen to this podcast. Yeah. It's a, it's a great one. I'm glad, I'm glad that he came on. Thank you. I'm not trying to sound like your mother. Well, you sound like it. Who might say, Hey, you should listen to this podcast. I'm not trying to sound like that. Well, that's kind of how it came across, but <laughs> but the good news is if they're listening to it right now, they're already listening to it. There you go. So without further ado, yeah, we'll stop talking and yeah. start listening to Adam Menzer, CIO at Alacrity Solutions. Hey, everybody. We're here with a, not just a special guest, but a friend. Yeah. Somebody who uh, Lee and I have traveled with, who get to, we get to work with. Lee gets to work with him all the time. The only time that uh, I get to work with him is when my stuff is broke. Yeah, your email's broken. When, and, 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 it's, and it's good to know this guy because he has a big org underneath him 
but I don't mess around with the org underneath him. I just send my problems straight to him and they get taken care of pretty quickly. I'm sure he result. loves that. Right. Sure right. he loves that. Yeah. We have Adam Menzer, who is the CIO. Is that right, Adam? That's correct, Brad. Did I hit that right? You hit that right. Relatively CIO. new title. Relatively new. Yeah, a few months now. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. CIO of Alacrity Solutions, yeah. the, our top technology guy guru. At, guru. at Guru at our company. That's right. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. It's, we're it's glad to get you here. on. I, I was just, we were just talking before we started recording how, what a brilliant idea this was of mine. Yeah, that was a great idea, Rob. Oh, We've been trying for a long time to get Adam on. Long time. Finally found time for us. Yes, exactly. Because there's all kinds of interesting perspectives that Adam can bring to our listening community right. that that uh, are really valuable. And so uh, th- thanks for joining us. Where where Tell everybody where you are. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Hammond, Louisiana, which, you know, we have, we have an office here of about 12, 15 people just outside of New Orleans. So hop, skip, and jump away from, from the big city if you want to go enjoy that stuff. And that, that was originally home to, to Worley, is that right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, so Worley uh, for a long time was was headquartered in Metairie, uh, you know, just a suburb of New Orleans. And then after Hurricane Katrina, um, we started constructing an office in Hammond to, to be a little bit farther away from the, the path of damage uh, for future hurricanes. And, you know, had a big complex and generators and, and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, with some of the reorg and, and shifting of, of different functions, uh, we, we downsized a little bit over here, but we still have a presence, uh, you know, so some of the historical personnel, including myself and, you know, Charlie Bilby, he's a, oh, yeah. guy that's he's a legend. He's a legend. Yeah. So, so yeah, still here. So are you from this area? Yeah. So I'm, I, w- I went to school in New Orleans. Uh, you know, I did the, the traditional private Catholic schooling track that, that a lot of people do down there. So went to Catholic middle school, Catholic high school in New Orleans, Loyola for college, which is a Catholic college. So spent most of my life uh, down there and then started working for Worley in 2005 and, st- you know, did the commute for a number of years and eventually that got old. And uh, made, made the move up to Hammond so that I could be a little bit closer to the office and what was going on here. How far away is that? It's about an hour, uh, oh, give or yeah. take with traffic. So, you know, two hours a day, you're driving back and forth to the office, which I know for some people is pretty normal in big cities uh, with, with different traffic and whatnot. Sounds but, terrible. Yeah. It sounds terrible. It got, got old very quickly. So I uh, didn't, didn't do that drive for very long before I moved up here. So you, you start in 2005. Is that out of college? Yeah, I had, I had a couple uh, different jobs out of college, but that, that was probably my first tech job, if you will. Uh, you know, I had gone to college for computer science uh, and, you know, dabbled uh, in my spare time with different technology, um, just hobbies, what you know, what have you. Uh, but Worley was probably my first tech job uh, just coming out of college. And so you stuck around long enough. So it's almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be 19 years uh yeah, yeah, pretty soon here. So yeah, uh, almost twenty years. So in that amount of time, you've you've seen just enormous change. I'm thinking myself, and I've I've never been on the tech side of it, but I sure. just think about how different things are today than they were, you know, fifteen twenty years ago in in our industry. Is is that? Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I mean, even. Just organizationally, I mean, uh, when I started with Worley, there were two two other IT guys or technology guys in the department aside from myself. You know, fast forward to today, we have I think forty three was my last tech count. So, wow. and obviously, there's been a lot of growth there, and some of that's been through acquisition and whatnot. So that's our, our own hiring. But even just from like day to day stuff, uh, I mean, all the stuff that we do online now was was pretty new back then. Web based uh, programming was was around, but a lot of people weren't building stuff on top of it. It was, um, it wasn't driving company processes like it, it does today and everything was still client based, you know, even thinking about Xactimate and installing the client with a CD or a disk, right? The usage of software and how you interacted with it was so, uh, just kind of old hat compared to what we do today. You know, you, you download stuff today and you, you connect digitally to things you can, that, that wasn't really a thing back then. And so everything we did looked different, you know, even down to the hardware, you know, you think about the laptops and different stuff that people used and 
how underpowered they were compared to what we use today. And smartphones were a new thing. Uh, so, you know, what, 2006 or seven, I think is when the iPhone came out, whatever year that was. And so, you know, uh, yeah, it's been transformative the way people use tech since then. How do you keep up? How do you, how do you uh, do your job and keep up? It's a good question. Um, I think part of it's because I'm, I'm a kind of a nerd myself. And so I like to, like to play around with whatever's, you know, the hot and, and latest thing. But I mean, truth be told, you can't do everything yourself. And I've been fortunate that a lot of the team members that I have uh, with, within our own technology department have been with me for a very long time, you know, 10, 12 plus years in some cases. And those are all really smart guys and gals. Um, and we feed off of each other and, you know, help each other out whenever, you know, we run into something that we're unfamiliar with or don't know or just want to collaborate. And so, you know, I attribute a lot of it to that too. Just being in one place for a long time around the same people, I think is, has helped me a lot in that area. Before we jump into current trends and what's going on, I wanted to see if you could walk us through a little bit of your, of your tenure here with the company. You know, you started in 2005. What was that role and, and what roles have you held up to this current one of CIO? Yeah, no. Um, so 2005, I, I came in as really just frontline support uh, for, for, you know, the IT department. They didn't really have a help desk or techs or anything like that. They just had programmers. Uh, so they needed somebody to, to interface with the normal user or adjuster or whatever that needed help with their laptop or, you know, ran into some software error. And so that's, I just did break fix essentially for the first couple of years of the company. Uh, learned a lot about what the company did, obviously, during that time. You know, I was kind of in, in the trenches with the adjusters and different, you know, uh, specialized personnel that we were deploying. And then, you know, as I advanced in my skill set and, and got to understand more about the company, my, my role grew a bit more. So like in 2007, I think, or eight, I got more into the uh, back office side of IT, you know, managing servers and networks and systems and, you know, making sure that we had disaster recovery in place and backups in place and things like that. So that it just became more specialized yeah. um, at that point. Uh, and then in 2010, I moved into management, and that coincided with the Deepwater Horizon spill, which Worley was was heavily involved in. We had to stand up, you know, 30-something offices along the Gulf Coast, and um, that was my, my first uh, opportunity to essentially hire a bunch of temporary IT people to help out with that project. And so ended up managing them for the duration of that project and, and really stayed in that manager role until about 2016 or 17 and uh, was promoted to senior vice president of technology at that point and was de facto head of IT mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, you know, we didn't have a CIO for, for a number of years. And um, and so that's what led me to, to recently where I was promoted to CIO and, um, you know, made it official. <laughs> that is, that yeah. is neat. So, so today, what do you spend most of your time on? What does your day look like? Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, you know, budgeting is a, a part of the job that I, I never saw myself spending a lot of time doing. Uh, yeah. I do a lot of um, financial analysis of, you know, what we're spending money on, what our ROI looks like for different things. Um, but outside of that, I mean, project planning, of course, uh, for different strategic initiatives. And obviously, I get to work with you on a bunch of that for, right. for some of the stuff that we're doing. You know, try to be more forward-looking than I ever was. You know, in my some of my prior roles, it was definitely like head down, day to day, whatever's in front of me at that point is what I'm focused on. Now you have to shift shift your perspective a little bit to say, okay, well, we have competitors obviously in our space, and I'm leading our technology group. You know, I'm I'm responsible to some degree for innovation within the company. You know, I have to do my part to help us set ourselves apart from our competition and make us more attractive to our customers. And so I spent a lot of time. You know, talking with the uh, the rest of the C suite and upper management on, on what that looks like day to day. That makes sense. So, so a lot of your day is thinking is thinking about new trends, I guess, and trying to stay ahead. Uh, Rob and I were talking earlier when we were talking about this podcast. We thought, you know, you probably get asked by carriers all the time, "Hey, what's new out there? What are you doing that's different? What separates you? Um, what do those conversations look like?" Yeah, it's, it's tricky, um, you know, because all the carriers are all over the place with their own technology posture and, and the way they kind of operate as a company. And, and you guys both know this, that some are easier to work with, some are harder to work with. And sometimes that's because of their own, you know, historical uh, bureaucracy or technology. Sometimes that's like the Titan- trying to move the Titanic. It just it takes time. And so they offload it quite a bit onto us and try, try to have us solve those problems for them. And so sometimes it could be as simple as, you know, how quickly can you integrate with us so that we can give you work? 
Mm-hmm. And other times it's, uh, you know, it's, it's truly about the labor model and, and trying to be competitive there, um, you know, provide a cheaper service, uh, but still maintain the same quality. And sometimes technology plays a part in that. Um, so I think, it, I think it just depends on the carrier where they are in their own maturity um, and, you know, the services that we provide for them. I'll ask this question because it needs to be asked. When you're outside of, when you work outside of the IT realm, we'll be in a meeting and typically the department that gets thrown under the bus is the IT department. Why? Why is that? Well, the answer is, is it takes a long time. It slows things down. Why is that a perception that permeates? And it's it's not just, it, it's every everybody you talk to. I mean, when you were talking about carriers, I thought to myself, that's something that carriers usually say to us. Yeah. Or if it's going to require, you know, an IT build, then, you know, it's going to be nine months or so, something like that. What, what What's going on there? Yeah, that's no, a fair question. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with how pro- technology enabled a lot of processes have become uh, over, over the years. You know, you think back to, you know, even when I first started with the company, a lot of things were more manual entry. Uh, you had you had teams and teams of people doing either data entry or data analysis or whatever the case was. And a lot of that's been replaced by applications that, that do a lot of that for people. Uh, but it does, to your point, take time to build a lot of that and, then, you know, to tech enable that process. And there's reasons that you wouldn't want to go down that route and, or reasons that you wouldn't want to stay manual. But to, you know, Data, data integrity is such a, a hot thing, I think, for everybody, uh, making sure that the data is accurate, looks right, it's consistent, and people are making decisions upon that. The diligence that goes into, into you know, creating something around that is, is just intensive. And, um, you know, the bigger you get, the more you do, that just becomes more complicated. And I think that's that's where we are with Alacrity right now. You know, our story is, is great, too, you know, through acquisition, through development of new service lines and and as we try to, you know, create a single offering, a lot of that becomes, you know, it becomes complex and it just, it takes time to make, make sure things look right and you do the right thing. Yeah, I'd like to talk more about that. So Alacrity is known for acquiring quite a few companies. And with that, you have to roll up the services, you have to roll up the IT. Uh, is that overwhelming? Or, I mean, what does that look like when you start bringing in these different companies, IT's infrastructures? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to, you know, look under the hood uh, of all these companies, a lot of people don't have that opportunity, you know, by, by virtue of us buying these companies, we get to see what they did or how they solved a particular problem over time. And a lot of the companies have done the same thing. It just looks a little different or, or maybe handles certain things a little differently. And so it's been challenging um, from the standpoint of, you know, trying to get everybody rowing in the same direction sometimes. Uh, right. you know, uh, and that's always a challenge when you, you bring two, sometimes ge- geographically distant groups of people together, you know, they think differently, they operate differently, whatever the case is. And, uh, you know, I've obviously seen that within our te- own technology group where we've, you know, inherited uh, technology staff from some of these acquisitions and they're still a part of my group today, which I'm, I'm pretty proud of, but yeah, I mean, it can be overwhelming, but I mean, we try to be thoughtful about it. Um, you know, obviously try to prioritize what's important to the company first, you know, you got branding, you got marketing that, that obviously want things to be done very quickly so that everybody's under the same umbrella. Uh, but even procedurally, uh, you know, getting everybody, uh, you know, onto the same rails if, if they exist is, is important too, so that uh, we're delivering a, you know, a similar solution to or service to all of our customers. We didn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on this topic today, the topic of security, mm-hmm. but but it's we so can't important. but we can't ignore it. Can't and you can't? It, it seems to me like uh, as somebody who sells product our products and services and works directly with our customers and security is always part of the it's it's like the first thing it's the first part of the conversation and so that must be a a very complicated thing and something that has that has changed tremendously and that continues to change tremendously i I mean on a daily basis i mean where, where where what you had to do for security in 2010 yeah. Versus what you do today, it's a different world. Absolutely. So talk for a second about that task and burden that we carry there. Sure. And yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, every single customer engagement we have, there, there's always a security addendum that, that we need to you know respond to. Um, and, and 
you know, convey what our security posture looks like and what controls we have in place. And we, we have to go through regulatory controls and certifications and, and all that jazz. So yeah, it has become a, I mean, burden is probably the wrong word, but there's a lot of overhead associated with that, you know, to, to maintain that. So yeah, I mean, to, you know, 2010, I think, you know, if, if you were a company that was developing applications, you, you, I mean, especially a small company, you probably didn't have any kind of security apparatus. You were depending on your programmers and your engineers to say attest to the security of what they were doing. You know, you might penetration test an application or something like that to see if you know you have something really bad going on. Uh, but that that's kind of flipped on its head because of how interconnected everything has become. Um, you know, the risk profile is just so much bigger uh, than I think it was 10, 12, 13 years ago. And so, you know, obviously here at Alacrity, we have our own cybersecurity department or infosec group that that you guys, I know, deal with pretty frequently. Um, and, and they, you know, you asked me how I stay on top of trends. They have a, a much harder time, I feel like, given everything that goes on. Uh, you know, they get alerts every day about uh, zero-day vulnerabilities. And, you know, they have to check and see if that's something that we're, um, you know, that we need to respond to or deal with. And so they're, they're constantly in a mode of, switching between being proactive and reactive. And that's that's a difficult place to be in. I, I think just, it takes a special person <laughs> yeah. To, uh, yeah. To, to operate in that manner. Uh, you know, and so some of our some of our team members in that group are ex-military and it shows. I mean, they're, they're just so type A and just all over it. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see. But I mean, you, it's not only your staff that that is involved in it, it's yo-yos like me and and Lee, who yeah, no, don't let me can that. inadvertently create issues or a vulnerability. I mean, again, I don't want to get into the details, but um, it just seems like a monumental, it's a big world, a monumental task. Yeah, I mean, what you're what you're seeing is, and you know, what we we say without directly saying it is our one of our bigger risks is our is our own user base, and I think that's every company. You know, the user user behavior. Uh, drives a lot of these threats and, and attack vectors that that you see, whether it's ransomware or something else. You know, like opening up a malicious attachment in email. So that's why we do phishing campaigns and we do security awareness training and all these things that seem kind of mundane and boring, but they, they are really are really are important. Is is you know this frequent sort of coaching of behavior uh, to, to sort of encourage discipline in that area. But yeah, I mean, it's, user behaviors. I mean, it's a huge huge thing, and it's you have to have cultural. Adoption and make security a priority for a lot of people, and you know, historically it wasn't. Um, you know, I would say ten years ago, if I wanted to hire a security admin or some sort of some sort of cybersecurity uh, professional, I, I, you know, I've been laughed at the door. Um, you know, just as a, as a waste of you know budget dollars. But now it's you know that's a much easier conversation to have, just given given the culture that exists now. So let's talk about InsureTech, and that's a that's a very broad term, of course, and you can define it however you want, because as, as Lee and I know, everybody else does. So why should we be any different? So, uh, so that's obviously changed tremendously. I mean, when you started, I think kind of basically InsureTech was exact where. You had some, you had some auto platforms, you know, yeah. a lot of taxes around. CCC was was kind of around in, in you know some capacity, but yeah, on the property side, it was it was really just Xactimate. It was it was and it, it, all their only function was to produce estimates. There was exact analysis was still real real young at that point, um, you know at least for, you know compared to what it is now. So yeah, I mean it's it's changed a lot. I mean, and, and a lot of these the things that you see that existed back then are, are really just B two B platforms now, and there's a whole right. bunch of other stuff that's been built around that ecosystem. Um, that, they, that they label as InsureTech, right? And I think we see it at all these conferences and a lot of people promise a lot of stuff and uh, sometimes it sometimes it, it, you know, it meets the criteria, sometimes it doesn't. You know? So you have a unique job in that you're, you're not only buying security software or security solutions, but you're buying, you're buying all, all the different technology solutions that we work with, including InsureTech. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, we want to talk for a couple of minutes about what it's like to be on your side of the table. Sure. So uh, I'll speak for myself as somebody who does selling, I'm always sitting on one side of the table and I'm always wondering what's going on in this guy's head <laughs> or this woman's head, one, one, one of the two. And 
so let's talk for a minute about buying InsureTech, what you're seeing out there. And because I know that, I mean, we also do some of our own development, right? Or you outsource some of some development to, to custom work. Talk about buying InsureTech and how that's changed. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, like I was trying to illustrate a second ago, I think what's really changed is there, there are companies that instead of trying to become insure tech companies themselves, uh, you know, I guess for, for all intents and purposes, they, they just develop a platform for uh, insure tech to, to, to be provided or offer their services. So, I mean, I think that's what Verisk has become more or less. I mean, they, they are technically an insure tech company, but they do, I mean, they have partners for 8 million different things. Right. And we, we all know that. I think, and that's a, that's kind of a newer thing, I think in the industry, whereas, you know, you look back 10 years ago, um, these were all kind of isolated things and they didn't really work well together. But I think, you know, whether it's Verisk or you talk about CoreLogic or some of these auto platforms, um, they, they really are becoming just platforms that, uh, that other companies can develop with or integrate with for their own insure tech offerings. So I think that's a big kind of transformation. I mean, obviously the technology has gotten better, whether it's um, our ability to, to compute faster or, you know, storage is so cheap now. So storing images and flat files and stuff like that, that you would want to look at or parse or whatever is, is so cheap. Um, and that's, that's a huge transformation. I mean, the, the actual just backend hardware of everything has become so much better and so much cheaper that it's enabled companies to do more than they, than they would have, say, say 10 years ago. You know, but I guess from, you know, from my position, you know, we have users that they, they of course, have salespeople calling them left and right, trying to offer their services and the latest and greatest thing. And sometimes I get brought in in the back end of that process, which is okay. I'd rather be brought in late than not at all, right? So, right. And so, I mean, but, you know, I have, I have to be an enabler. I, I don't want to be the person that's blocking somebody in the business who really wants to use something that they think is, is a benefit to them. Uh, and so that's, that's been, a, you know, I think an adjustment that a lot of people have a hard time making is, you know, if the solution is good and it's not expensive and, you know, handles all the data security requirements and all that stuff, um, you know, there's, there's really no reason that you shouldn't pursue that so long as, uh, you know, everybody understands what you're doing there. Uh, and to Rob's point, you know, you have to have, at least for me, I have to have that make versus buy conversation sometimes. Right. So if, if somebody's looking at a product or a solution that, that does have a hefty price tag or maybe doesn't do everything that we wanted to do, but maybe we could do something a little bit better. That, that might be something that I would want to build a project around and at least explore what that, uh, you know, cost benefit, cost benefit analysis would look like for, for either doing our own internal development or outsourcing it. Right. Custom development, everybody does it. You know, every, every company we've acquired, every company that we deal with does their own custom development. It's unavoidable. So yeah, the make versus buy conversation is, some, is sometimes, uh, you know, where I'd like to be on the front of that conversation instead of on the back end. You know what I mean? Whenever you get approached by insured techs, what, what catches your uh, attention? What are you, what are you looking for or what are they, what do they have to say for you to even give them a shot? Yeah. I mean, I think they have to be very clear about what they're trying to solve. You know, a lot, a lot of people promise the world uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to insure tech, you know, we'll, we'll be able to like, so for instance, uh, when it comes to damage recognition, there's a lot of people that, that sell a lot of you know products in that space. You know, with property, I think that's if somebody's going to tell me that they're going to you know streamline you know 100% of our property estimates by you know automating some of the damage recognition and seeding an estimate, which there are some companies that promise that. That's I'm very skeptical of that, given the variance that exists in the property space versus the auto space. You know, I think that's a much more tenable conversation in the auto space than it is property, but. I just don't think we're that far along yet. And so when you start to overpromise those statistics and, you know, just be less realistic about, you know, the world, <laughs> that, right. that's a, that's kind of a red flag to me. So a lot of people say they can replace entire departments or entire labor forces. And, and, and those are, those are all kind of hit or miss because I think it's, it ignores, I guess the dynamics that you have with your own customers. You know what I mean? So, Take, for instance, on the property adjusting space, uh, they've been saying for years, companies have been saying for years that, you know, the insurance adjuster is a thing of the past or, or whatever the case is. And I mean, it's still around. And I think a big part of that is not just because the, the, the job is hard, um, but there's a customer service aspect to this, too. And I think that's important. And I think a lot of people diminish the value of some of those ancillary things that, 
you know, it's not it's not the true product or the true output of the adjuster, but it is part of the service they provide. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I know I've been rambling there for a second, but oh. that's kind of my thoughts on the matter. Just internally, I mean, I can't imagine how many different products we use mm-hmm. from the industry. Dozens probably, right? And like you acquire a company, like I think we, ju- we just recently acquired a subrogation company. Correct. Mm-hmm. And didn't they come with their own platform? They, they did, yes. And I mean, that must be... Yeah. For the people from from the subro company, they probably think, "Well, this is easy. Here's our platform, right?" Right. And but but for you, you must pull a clump of hair out because I mean, now you have a whole new product to deal with, yeah. to fit in, to secure, to be aware of, to to integrate. That that must be a, a, just a ton of work. It is. Um, and, you know, that's the risk of custom development. And especially if you're if you're a firm that's, you know, been just a private, you know, solely owned company for a long time, that uh, the thought of integration or, you know, pairing with, a you know, another set of services is sometimes just not not a thought or maybe it's an afterthought or it's not it's not really included in the design of the application. So, yeah, I mean, companies have different coding standards. They have different, uh, you know, staff levels. Um you know, uh, we've seen it all. I mean, we've seen groups of uh, companies, groups of developers, you know, and the teams that develop, you know, really complex, secure monolithic applications. And then I've seen companies that have one developer and he tears his hair out, you know, coding 12, 16 hours a day. And then what comes with that is a lot of missed things just by virtue of that being the sole resource, you know, burning the midnight oil, trying to get things done. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, we have a playbook now that I think has been, has done pretty well for us when it comes to acquisitions and what we look for and what we like to execute first is, you know, from a cybersecurity standpoint, from, you know, even contracts, off the shelf software, you name it. I mean, we, we try to prioritize that based on our, uh, our own internal assessments that we do. You were talking earlier about make it or, or buy it, right? You were talking about deciding back in 2021, Alacrity came out with a mobile app right? Mobile is everything. You've got to get mobile out to the adjusters. And, and I mean, you actually partnered with a group uh, to, to build that mobile app and it actually won an, an, an award, mm-hmm. right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, everybody's got their cell phone on them all day long. Uh, just to give you some kind of context or perspective, I think on, on how this originated, but not everybody's in front of their computer or in front of, you know, whatever other device they might use day to day or tablet or whatever. And so, it, you know, I think for us, the, the idea was let's shift a lot of the communication that we do with our workforce and the actionable things that we want them to do to mobile. And, you know, having a mobile app that can have push notifications and you can actually integrate with your own internal systems through the mobile app has been a value for us uh, from everything from, you know, communication about deployments or opportunities with the adjusters to, you know, even compliance items, you know, we need them to sign a contract or we need them to complete this certification or this course or whatever. Um, and we started to build on top of that, uh, you know, to even even our internal dispatch process as to how we, we give work to our workforce. And so instead of having instead of having somebody pick up the phone, we're able to put it on some rails to where, you know, there's there's kind of unintended uh, communication with their workforce and it enables our, our other internal back office people to do things that they consider more important instead of, you know, having to track down an adjuster that can handle a claim in this area, we can automate a lot of that for them through our own internal systems and the mobile app and make that kind of a, um, uh, you know, a two-way communication stream uh, with our workforce. So that's where it came from. We're building a lot of stuff on top of that. Um, We have some other stuff on the roadmap that I think is going to be more customer focused, uh, more policy right. focused, uh, which we're pretty excited about. But yeah, the, the test bed or the pilot, for if you will, for for you know the original mobile app was our, our workforce. It's, it's done pretty well for us. We use it on the adjuster side. We use it on our managed repair contractor side, uh, so they can see notes and manage uh, and understand progress with uh, the claim and, and completion there. So uh, just starting to creep out uh, into different service lines that that we have in the company. That's wonderful. So one of the big things that everybody's talking about, of course, is AI. And I mean, I know nothing about AI, but I can, but the little bit that I do know, I can can spell it. I I, I, (laughs) thank you, Lee. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you, Lee. This is what I get. This is the thanks I get. Anyways, um, (laughs) even I can kind of imagine some of the ways that we can apply it. And, you know, talking and thinking about AI is one thing. Applying it to our work is another. Uh, Share with us some of your thoughts on AI vis-a-vis our work and our company and and, and some of the things that you're thinking about. Yeah, I mean, so if you, if you think of the claim life cycle, um, you know, the origination of the claim through first notice of loss and, and things like that, all the way down to payment reconciliation, uh, things towards the end, every stage of that, I guess, claim life cycle, there are people that offer AI-driven solutions, um, you know, to, to, you know, either aid or replace whatever might exist internally within a company. Uh, so I get, this is this is the single biggest topic I get phone calls day to day about. Um, you know, we have this AI product that can do this or do this or do this. We have an AI dispatch model. We have an AI FDAL module. We have an AI payments module or whatever. It's it's difficult because there are good solutions out there that that use the term AI that truly use AI. But I think it has become muddied in the same way that if you remember between ten and fifteen years ago, cloud was the hot term, right? And you have to be cloud enabled. You have to be cloud this and cloud that. I think that's where AI is right now, unfortunately. And it's difficult sometimes to differentiate people that are just using the buzzword because it is the buzzword and people that truly have, you know, good solutions. Uh, I mean, so we've seen stuff out there and I mentioned some on on the auto side, there's some companies that do do some really good um, vector analysis of photos of car damage. And they're able to pretty accurately determine if this is a total, total vehicle or how much the estimated repair cost of the vehicle is going to be and whatnot. And so you do see some pretty cool things in that space. And I think there's an argument to be made even there that some of that is, is loosely using AI and some of it's, you know, some of the rules-based engine that they develop and, and whatnot. But, but it, I guess the point is that they are using or trying to use AI in that space and it is bearing fruit. Uh, in, in other areas, uh, I mean, you're, you're not really seeing whole lot of innovation there's there's a lot of buzz around chatbots and, right, and we, yeah. we are building our own chatbot right now internally as a pilot right now for uh for our workforce to you know help them with their day-to-day job but um i think i think we're a ways off from some of this becoming meaningful i mean i think you, you look at what chat gpt is now in the in the public space and there's a lot of uh back and forth about how reliable even that is and i think that's a that's a that's a, um, a you know a site or an application rather that, that has a lot of um, momentum behind it and it, it's it still running into, running into some issues. Uh, it's not to say it's not getting better, but it's just like anything else that's new. It just takes time for those things to kind of get better and get get honed and get, become more accurate. Uh, I mean, self-driving cars is the same way. I mean, we deal with this all the time. We deal with the question of you know with AI being applied and even the automotive industry and other aspects how does that affect insurance right so if you have a car that's self-driving you remove the driver does that mean there's going to be fewer accidents well yeah in theory yes but the car has become more complicated the losses become more expensive and so there's kind of a trade-off there I think that that a lot of people don't consider but um yeah it's interesting I mean we, we we're doing our own foray into uh, into AI but I think we're trying to be thoughtful about it you know, start small, uh, do something that, that has a practical application within the company and, and just kind of learn from that and see if there's opportunities based on that experience to apply it somewhere else, whether it's on quality assurance, um, you know, detecting errors and estimates uh, or, you know, photo recognition or, or things of that effect. So you work with, uh, you know, the high levels of not only our company, but also of the company that owns us. And, in conversations with them, is AI something that's on their mind? Are they asking questions about that? Are you hearing about it at the higher levels? Yeah, I am, and I think um, you know, I think everybody's so eager to define what that competitive edge looks like, and, and this is this is uh, a focal point for a lot of that conversation to say, well, look, if this really is a differentiator, we should put some put some muscle behind us and, and see if it bears fruit. And so, I mean, we're doing that. Um, I think we, we still, again, have to be thoughtful about how we introduce it from the customer-facing side of things because that is such a protected, I think, relationship. Uh, in, some, in some cases, our customers are really uh, rigid about how they want us to do things. Uh, and so we have limited opportunities to introduce technology in some of those areas. In other cases, we have a lot, you know, a playground of sorts to do things. Uh, but, yeah, going back to your question, you know, our ownership is definitely tuned into that and, you know, 
every time I meet with them, there's there's some conversation about it. We they brought in consultants to talk to us about it and what they're seeing in the rest of the insurance space. And again, I think some of it's some of it is focused on that customer facing side. First, it's a loss dealing with a policyholder, you know, more of a customer service agent sort of a relationship. And there's there's probably some opportunity there. Um, I, I think our, our focus is a little bit more on uh, how to provide better services um, than it is to the interaction piece, but. We'll see. You know, that's, that's still a, a work in progress. I think with most technologies, and I'm not going to say anything insightful here, but time shows us where the true intersection of, you know, humanity, people, business, right. and a new technology are. Right. Um, we can fantasize about those things, and they're amazing. I remember, and I'm an old guy, I remember I was in graduate school in the early to mid-90s, and we were talking about that someday that computers would be so small that they would be in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and you'd have access to the internet through it all. It was, it was stunning. Right. But yeah. like you said earlier, it was still 10 or 12 years later that, sure. that, that really was there on a widespread yeah. you know, uh, level now. Now, certainly, we we could have some AI providers in InsureTech on the podcast, and they'll tell you no, it's here today. Right. But um, when the when all those factors catch up to make it fully usable, we're prob we're we're in the early days. Yeah, and look, there's there's a give and take. You know, there's 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 a what is, what is the phrase? There's no solutions. There's only trade offs, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think you're going back to my analogy about cloud. You saw a lot of people jump feet first into uh, whatever cloud companies had to offer. And I think within the past five, six, seven years, you've seen kind of a back off of that a little bit to where you have more hybrid models now, where you have some people that might have an on-premise infrastructure with some cloud infrastructure, whatever the case may be. There's benefits to doing both at the same time versus one or the other, 100%. And so I think you know, I think a lot of these things, you, you just have to be mindful about, are we talking about just replacing everything with AI and all. No, I think we're just talk, like I said, just inserting it where it makes sense for the company or like the solution or the customer or whatever the case is. And, and that takes to your point, takes a lot of time to figure out where the, where the right place is to insert it. Right. I want to ask you just a couple more questions in the couple of minutes we have left about both about you personally mm-hmm. and, and also about your, your work. So it must be very interesting. You say you have 40 some people in your, in your, department many of them have come by acquisition and that must be a very important and interesting part of your job because you i mean i don't know how many we've done over 10 acquisitions right and um and so each one brings its own culture and its way of doing things and they think that they have the best way and they think that they have the right way and maybe they don't want to compromise and so on and so forth how do you i mean that must be an art that you've learned over time. Yeah, I mean, look, it's—I uh, I wouldn't claim to be a manager guru of, of any by any means, but I, I think I've done a good job of incorporating to, uh, one of the words you use: cultures. And I mean, that's, that is so true. You have, like I, I mentioned earlier, people from different parts of the country. The companies were run different historically. The expectations of what the person was supposed to do day to day were just different, and. You have to blend all that together and make everybody, you know, work work well. And um, I mean, we've had very little turnover, if any, some of the staff on these acquisitions, and I'm very proud of that. I think that's a testament to what we've done, you know, from a cultural standpoint. And look, there's hard conversations you have to have. You, I mean, I, I have to be sometimes ultimately make the decision about a direction that maybe not everybody likes, but eventually they get on board. And you know, I do the, the best I can to sell that and to make sure that people. Understand that I'm, I'm not coming from the place of look. I'm the boss, and this is you know it's my way or the highway or whatever the case is. I think we all want to make the right decision and make the smart decision, and I think that uh, I think everybody's bought into that, and that makes things a lot easier. Uh, so let's talk about you for a minute. You've been engaged to to be married for about seven or eight years now. <laughs> just that, jumping right in there, huh? That was not on script. That, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I just can't get enough of giving Adam a hard time about that. That's seven years, a little over a year now. 
Okay. All right. Well, it just feels like seven years. Yeah. It's a, well, it just felt like seven years for me too. Um, in a good way, though, right? Yeah. 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 And don't worry, she's not going to listen to that. Yeah, I guarantee you. Lee and I like to talk about that. Our wives. We have two hundred and some episodes, and our wives have never listened to one episode. <laughs> so chances are, it ain't happening. She'll listen yeah. for a minute. She'll be like, "Are we done? We're not making it forty minutes in." Oh, that's really yeah. nice, honey. Can we? Go to the supermarket. I mean, there's many, many <laughs> tasks that are more interesting. But you and I are kind of related. Kind of, yeah. We're, we, have, we have kind of a shared history of sorts, for we sure. We do. We're both. We're, How is we're, that? We're Hungarian guys. Yeah. Hungarian. Okay. Okay. Menzer is a Hungarian name. That's correct. Yeah, it is. I don't know how it would be said. How's it said in Hungarian? Do you know? So it's uh, the original spelling. Uh, so it's it's got an S now. It originally had a, a C. So it was M E N C Z E R, and it was pronounced Menzer instead of Menzer. Uh huh. So uh-huh. more of an S H instead of an Z. Do you know where in Hungary you came? Your family. I do. Uh, it's now it's now in Romania. That was at the time part of Austria Hungary, but it's a town called Arad. A R A D. Oh, cool. Uh, so you can actually go there and see. There's graveyards with tombstones of some of my distant relatives. Oh, you've been? Uh, it's my fam- Some of my family has. I have not personally. Uh-huh. I've had wow, that experience. I, I, I got to go to Hungary, and that's one of the things we did. We went to a cemetery, and there was family. And I saw my great, great, I think my great, great grandmother's gravestone. And um, so my family name is Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, it's spelled with a Z. Right. But... Um, in Hungary, the first letter is a T. It's Zimmerman. Right. You say you and you say the T, but that was too hard in English, so they just dumped it. Right. Anglicized. And, yeah. But same thing with your name, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, and and I think um, they they went through Poland. I think before they came to America. So I'm I'm not sure if that transformation actually took place there, uh-huh. or or in the Americas uh, or the states rather. Um, it's interesting. The, because by the time they got down to Louisiana and, you know, we have copies of the early census documents from they were here and, and you can see that it was already an SZ. And so I'm not sure if it That's was. really cool that, that, that y'all have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that they ended up in Louisiana of all the places. I know. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, we know what the first place they ended up in the States was coming from Europe was Minnesota, if you can believe that. But at the time that was... The, whatever the railway network that they had in place, that was a big stopping point for immigrants coming from, from Europe. Uh-huh. And so that's why you see so many German immigrants and stuff like that up north, because right. that's where they ended up. You know? Right, because they could get there. Exactly. Uh-huh. There was a way there. But, uh, but Louisiana is a long way from Minnesota. It is. Uh, and the story about how they got down here is I'm, I'm not 100% sure of. Uh, but yeah, they settled down here in, in the early 1900s and the rest is history. Well, it's cool for us to know somebody a real cajun <laughs> even, though, even though you're not cajun at all no not right? really. but you know kind of by uh location you're yeah it, it, it kind of seeped into my skin with the the humidity that we have down here so. Uh-huh, uh-huh. so last question when is the most common time of year to have uh crawfish boils boils yeah, so it's uh, typically after hurricane season. So, you know, you get into January. Uh, into January, I would say beginning May is the cutoff uh, for a lot of that. So, you have about a four-month four window where it's where it's good. Too early and too late in the season, you're not going to enjoy them. The, they're either going to be too small or the shells are going to be too hard at the end of the season. So, huh. you have, you have, the, the sweet spot probably like right in the middle. You have, you have about a six, eight-week window. Are you a crawfish guy? I am. I do boils every year. Okay. All I, right. I, I like the thought of it. Yeah. I like well, the thought of it. We'll be um, looking in our email every day for our invitation. Uh, That's uh, right. I seem to have uh, missed that the past two years. Coming, it's coming right after this. Uh, by the way. <laughs> by the way. Wow. But I, I don't. I don't do the head. You don't no. have to. There, there's. You don't have to. That's a. That's certainly a, a local thing. It's not yeah, I'm just, a requirement. Just, just full disclosure. Full disclosure. Okay. I like the corn that comes with it. I do it all: corn, potatoes, sausage. Oh yeah. Do you yeah. use Do you use a little uh, uh, little kids' pool to keep them all in? <laughs> no, I just use an ice chest. <laughs> okay. All That's right. Better. Yeah. That's better. I've yeah. seen. I've been to some wild ones. Yeah. They, te- they tend to. They tend to be a little wild. It's. Uh, 
<laughs> don't you got to be careful with your fingers because people bite your finger off. I mean, it's uh, it's a little <laughs> I crazy. Know what part of your going? I don't know where you're going to eat coffee. Okay. Well, listen, it's been a, a, a pleasure having you and really very, very, very interesting to hear about um, your world and, and, and the way you run it. I, we, we appreciate uh, you coming on. I'm glad I thought of this. <laughs> Good, great idea, Robin. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. You know, with all due respect, that man has a super hard job. He has a very big job. It's a big organization sitting on him that, that, that he has to work. Yeah, it's huge. We have thousands of people working for us. We have all kinds of stuff going on, a myriad of products that we offer. I just, you know, he gets new people into his department who came from other companies. It's just new products, services, ideas, problems, the whole, just security. Right. I just did a I just did a summit with Adam and he talked about two or three projects which are major projects things that entire IT departments will will work on all year and he had two or three that he talked about and numerous more going on it's just always something and you're always having to innovate you're always having to be on the leading edge and and be at the front and mm-hmm. then redo the things that that you did last year because they're already outdated yeah big job Big job. But what a great guy. What a great guy to have. Wonderful. I've had some um, experiences traveling with Adam, and he's a wonderfully nice man. And He's a great uh, guy. To, great, great person. Great, he's a, great he's person. a gentleman. He's a good guy. I um, first got to know him before we were acquired. I got to know him when we were still working at 470. And you know, a lot of times competitors are, you know, they're standoffish. They're not as, not as friendly. Not Adam. He's just, he was just the nicest person. And whenever we got acquired by Alacrity, I was so excited because Adam had set the bar, you know, so high for for friendliness and nice. Uh, I was really excited about it. Well, cool. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for being here. I hope that uh, this was valuable for you. It was super interesting for us since we work here. And thank you to our production team that is changing a little bit. Just a hair. Just a hair. Al Moya, who's been with us for how long, Al? A long time. Four a years? A long time. Four yeah, years, Al? Four, four, four. Al's been with us for four years. Al has, I'm sure Al has edited 200 of our episodes, and he's just too darn busy now. So we're going to be using a new editor for our episodes. And But Al's um, still going to be here. But Al's we want to give here. a shout out to Al and a big thank you for all the work that you've done. He'll still be here and still be our recording engineer, as he has been for years. Thank you, Al. And thanks to Alicia for making all this happen. And most especially thanks to you all for listening to our jibber jabber once again. Goodbye, everybody.